Good morning, church. Happy October. Can you believe it? It's October. We, got, we just have a, a couple more months, and we're, we're turning over the year. We're turning over the year. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, my wife and I, uh, as many of you know, um, some of you who do not know, this summer we took a sabbatical, six weeks um, of, of rest, six weeks of travel, of being with our family. It was such a wonderful time. Uh, we came back three weeks ago, and, but the last two weekends, uh, I've been out, um, although I was here during the week. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Tampa at my Florida Gator baseball team's 25-year reunion. So that was so great. It was a double whammy because I was able to spend the weekend with my brother, David, and, Li- and his wife, Lizzie, and the kids. And so I went to two football games, Florida Gators versus Tennessee. And then down in Tampa, I went to the Tampa Bay game against the Chicago Bears. Um, sorry about that, Brother Albert. We had to put the Bears down nicely, send them, send them back into hibernation. And then um, last weekend, I was in Utah in um, Cedar City. Anybody been up there in that, that part of town with um, the gorge and red bluffs of Utah? It was so beautiful. Um, I officiated the wedding of my niece, who I am the godfather to. Um, and it, it's been over 20 years since I've last seen her. And so it was a trip um, well, um, well planned and in the making. And so though I was gone the last two weekends, my heart has been here with you. And um, so grateful to be back here at church um, with the brethren um, and back in the pulpit. So uh, thank you for your love, for your, your prayers. Thank you for always understanding. Um, as I tell my, my children, you know, sometimes you got to share daddy and I'm going to be gone sometimes from family, but um, it's, it's always a blessing to be back home. Amen. Amen. I want to wish a happy birthday to my tia. Um, we, we like to refer to her as Mama Lisi. I don't know where she's at. She was there in the back. Um, but uh, pa- Pastor Liz, to, to others of us, she is 76 years old. She is a, a kindergarten teacher in the heart of Los Angeles. She's got a tremendous ministry and a powerful testimony of what God has done in her life. Um, She continues to serve the Lord fearlessly, and uh, I am so grateful for her. Um, I love my conversations with my tia, and I'm thankful for her heart for uh, Mission Ebenezer and those especially that are a part of her ministry of recovery um, and overcoming addiction, Um, because some of our most faithful People and members of our church have come from her ministry and her discipleship of a loving mother and pastor who is there for, for us when we need her. Amen? Amen. So we, I thank the Lord for Mama Lisi. I'd like to recognize and welcome my mom's eldest sister, uh, Aunt May, is here from Portland, Oregon, and her husband, um, Uncle Sam. He's the real Uncle Sam. God bless you, too. We love you. They're in town as they attended the funeral of my great-aunt, Frida, um, who went to be with the Lord over the last couple of weeks. She was 96. So uh, longevity runs in, in my family on both sides. 
Um, so we're, we're trusting the Lord for his promises. Amen. There's my mom right back there. Bless you, mom. I know you're wearing your Tampa Bay red today. Amen. You'll get used to that. You'll get used to that. She retired the Seahawks colors. Those of you who are trying to figure out why all the football, you know, stories, it's because my brother David coaches for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, he coached for the Seattle Seahawks for, I think, 13 years. So um, wherever he's at, we're diehard fans. Wherever he's at. Amen. Um, can I tell a funny story? So my niece, Ashby, they're in Tampa. She and Ben, my, my nephew, um, went to the, the Florida-Tennessee football game with me and spent the whole day with Uncle Josh um, in Gainesville, Florida, where I went to, to college for two and a half years and played baseball. And um, she says, you want to hear something funny, Uncle? I was like, of course. She said, last week I was in my junior high class at school. And when they were doing prayer requests, I prayed that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would win. And the teacher looked at me crazy and asked me, why was I praying for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win? And she says, well, because my dad is, is the offensive coordinator. So, and they were just like, oh, okay, let's pray. So uh, when they win, it affects their livelihood. And so, so we pray and we don't hold back. Amen. Um, and, um, don't forget to support the women's uh, ministry fundraiser outside. Um, and I just want to, um, highlight what pastor Manny and Tina came up here to share and to encourage us to do is to remember to tithe, um, and make that a priority. If you consider this your church, um, we want to encourage you to, um, give your tithes unto the Lord. A tithe is a 10% of what we earn and what we gain. My wife and I, um, as we are blessed by the altar and by this ministry, we also tithe here at our church. Um, and we sow seeds of faith into the kingdom of God beyond the four walls of Mission Ebenezer, just like many of you. If you're not tithing, I want to encourage you to tithe. Also, it comes at a really good time because our church is, uh, is experiencing a little bit of financial difficulty. Um, since the pandemic, we're making that big, huge adjustment. We're tightening our belt. Um, we want to make sure that we do our part and are responsible to steward um, the resources of, of, of the Lord that he has given to us. And so if you're part of Mission Ebenezer Family Church and are not tithing, I want to encourage you to tithe. Let's link arms with one another and be a part of this great, great work that God has called us to. I believe God has called the church for um, this particular day and this particular time to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I asked my, I asked my boys this morning, why, do we, why are we a part of the church? And one, one son said, where, that's where we receive the word of God. And the other son said, it's where we get, come together also to worship and fellowship with the brethren. I said, absolutely. And let's not forget that the Lord has called the church to be a part of the evangelistic arm of Jesus Christ. God wants to use the church to reach the lost. God wants to use our church to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond these four walls. And so we're a part of God's redemption plan. And since Jesus ascended to heaven, we have been in the end times. This is the age of the end times and it's the age of the church through the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he will continue to empower his church. He'll continue 
to raise up a remnant, and you and I are a part of that remnant. And if you're not a part of that remnant yet, and maybe you are in the process of seeking the Lord and finding out for yourself, I want to encourage you to hang on. See and taste that the Lord is good and that his love endures forever, that he is a good God. He's a faithful God, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That is his promises in the word of God. I know those promises to be true, and today I stand up here before you in the pulpit and encourage each and every one of you. Let us be faithful unto him. Amen? Let's transition now into the word of God, and as we do that, I just want to ask that you bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, on this first day of October, the year of our Lord, I ask that you would be with me as I bring the word of God to your people. May it be an encouragement and a reminder, Lord Jesus, of your promises that are in your word. Father, I ask that you forgive us for our sins. And as we prepare for communion today, Lord God, that you would do a work in our lives, a work in our hearts, that when we leave this place will not leave the same way that we came in. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd open our minds, that you'd open our hearts, and that you'd open our spiritual eyes, that we would see beautiful things in your law today. I pray this in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Please turn with me to the book of Job. I'll begin in chapter 1. The book of Job can be found in the Old Testament right after the book of Esther. And right before the book of Psalms. So it's near the center of your Bible. If you open up towards the center of center fold of your Bible, um, go to the left and you'll find the book of Job. Is that an easy way to, to find that book? It's good to see you, Brother Mike. You're a fighter. You're a champion. You're a beloved of God. And I want to encourage you that God's got a great future for your life. And he's not done with you, brother. He ain't done with you. Many people who are not familiar with the book of Job refer to this book as the book of Job. And they say, when I was looking for work, I went to the book of Job because I heard there were some good things in there. And Maybe God would hear my prayers if I read the book of Job. Well, it's a little different. It's not the book of Job, but it's the book of Job. And the book of Job has a very powerful story of restoration. Today is the third part of our Restore sermon series before we move into Equip next week. And in the book of Job... Many believe this book to be an allegorical story of a man who was a friend of God. Somebody say friend of God. This man named Job, it's one of the oldest stories, one of the oldest books that we find in the Bible. And this man named Job, whom many of us who are familiar with this story can identify with because Many of us have suffered loss. Raise your hand if you've ever suffered loss before. Put your hands down. 
Raise your hand if, if you've ever gone through a very, very dark time in your life where your actual person, your health was affected and it took you to a dark place in your spiritual life. Raise your hand. If you've ever gone through a confusing time of life where many around you were telling you things that were contradictory to the word of God, that were contradictory to your faith in Christ, and that were encouraging you to leave the faith, raise your hand. So almost everybody that is in here today can relate to this testimony and the story of Job. Thankfully, in this story, we're going to see a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a time of grief, a time of suffering, a time of loss, ultimately will point to a time of victory to the person who remains faithful to God and his words and his promises. There's a condition here in this passage, and the condition is that you remain faithful to God, that you hold on to your faith, that you not lose your faith, that you not turn your, your, your back on God even when times get tough. The premise of my sermon today and the title is this. It's easy to be faithful when things are going well. It's easy to be faithful when things are going well. It's easy to be a friend of somebody when all they do is tell you nice things. If you ever want $20 from dad, get it from him when you're at the family party and he's in a good mood. But if he's mad at you, you better not even ask him for a dollar. He might just make you pick up the dog poop. It's easy to be faithful when things are going well. Turn with me now to Job chapter 1. And I'd like to bring us all up to speed as to how this story begins. Maybe you're not familiar with the story of Job and that's okay. That's why we've gathered here today so that we can look to the passages in this chapter, chapter 1. The story begins by a convocation of God the Father along with the angels. As they were there in conversation and in concert and concord of spirit with one another, along comes Satan. And the Lord says to Satan, hey, we're... What's up with you? Where, why are you crashing the party? And what, what have you been up to? And Satan replies, Oh, I've been roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Verse 7. And obviously, Satan is doing this because he's looking whom he might tempt. He's looking, he's looking to find somebody that he can lead astray. Somebody that he can... Get them to turn their backs on God. And the Lord says to Satan in verse 8, let's turn there. 
Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan replied, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his work and his hands? You've blessed him. You've, you've prospered him. Look what it says. So that his flocks and herds and are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan says in verse 11. And look what the Lord says in verse 12. The Lord said very well. Everything that he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. I want to pause there for a moment and let's, let's think about this for a second. We know, biblically and theologically, that God will not tempt you and God will not tempt me. But the scripture does not say that God will not allow us to be tempted. And in this particular case, he actually gives power and authority to Satan. To attack Job, his possessions. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in scripture that God gives the power to Satan over nature as well. Where he calls down a fire. And he also manages the winds. So the Lord can give authority to whom he decides to give authority. You and I were created by Almighty God. We're the creation. We're the created. And he is the creator. In this sermon, you're going to hear about the sovereignty of God. You may be asking, what is sovereignty? Sovereignty means that God is all-powerful. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he chooses. And that is correct. It's like the clay of pot on the potter's wheel telling the potter, why did you make me this way? A common vessel to carry water instead of making me something more beautiful and elegant that gets set up on the top shelf. You can ask those questions all you want. You may not like the answers that you get. God is all powerful. He is almighty God. He is El Shaddai. Amen? And that's where we as humans, as creatures, run into problems in the faith because sometimes we want to put ourselves in the, the seat of God. We want to put ourselves on the throne. We want to crown ourselves. We want to understand everything there is to know about God, and we want to actually tell God what to do when it doesn't work that way. That's not the way this whole thing was designed. We need to understand the fundamentals of faith, the fundamentals of the creation of the universe, the fundamentals of how we were designed and the role that we play in God's amazing imagination and creation. And if we started there, it will allow us to remain in the place and know our place when it comes to God. We were designed to worship God. Not him worship us. We were not designed to worship ourselves. We were not designed to worship one another. 
But we see far too, too much of that in this day and age, don't we? Let's go back to the text. So as God gave authority to Satan to, to tempt and to attack Job, to see what Job would do if Job would still worship, if Job would continue to be faithful unto God, even though he was going to have the things in his life impacted by loss. Look what it says. I'm just going to read the scripture. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, you guys watch this, the fourth offense. Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they were dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. We see here that four times, Job's possessions, the camels, the donkeys, the sheep, there were servants in every instance of these four attacks that were lost, including his sons and daughters, his seven sons and his three daughters that were lost by a great gust of wind that the Lord put under the possession and the authority and under the subjection of Satan himself. And Job lost everything in an instant. At this, verse 20, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. In what? In what? How could a man worship God when he just took his children from him? He's robbed of his children. He's robbed of the most precious beings in his life. Of his children. We've heard stories of people who have suffered loss and lost their own children. And it's very difficult for us to not remain faithful to God in those trying moments, isn't it? The Bible says that Job fell down and he worshiped God. And he said, naked I came in from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away May the name of the Lord be praised. In verse 22, it says, In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Knowing that God is responsible for his life and responsible for the things under his care and under his, his hands, Job has to recognize that God is still a, a faithful God in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this great loss. And he says, God gives and God takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He remains faithful. And verse 22 says that he did not sin 
by charging God with wrongdoing. He didn't blame God for what he experienced, although God allowed it. You see, we're going to experience loss in our lives, but it doesn't mean that God is responsible for that loss because he allows us to go through things. And so long as we have air in our lungs and breath to keep us alive and the sun comes up on the next day, we have the choice as to how we are going to approach, how we are going to live, and how we are going to keep trusting in God and believing that God's going to turn things around in the midst of our valley. Job did not sin by charging God. He didn't turn his back on God. He didn't renounce his faith. He didn't become an atheist now that he's going through a difficult time. When all the while, he blessed God and worshiped God and praised God when the finances were there and the mortgage was paid and everybody had their health and, and you know, you were getting promotions and you were getting raises and, and everything was going great. You were having children and, and your children were having children and, and, and praise the Lord. Hallelujah, God is good. And the moment we're touched by life, somebody say touched by life. The moment that we are touched by life, curse God. Where is God? How could God? It's all his fault. Well, what kind of faith do we have? What kind of faith are we made of? What kind of substance is in the foundation and in the making of your walk with Christ and mine. If you thought that was a lot, look what happens next. Chapter 2. Verse 1. On another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came again and presented himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And once again, he says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth, and he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one as faithful as him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. He says, you saw what he did the first time. He says, oh yeah, well, you didn't let me lay a finger on him. You didn't let me touch his body. Look what Satan says, skin for skin, a man will give you all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and surely he will curse you to your face. Oh yeah, Pastor Dozier, he's been faithful all his life, but wait till I strike him. Oh, the pastor of prayer, let's see how much he'll pray after that. Oh, Pastor Isaac, oh, let's see, let's see what he does after this. He said, I had enough. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In the most critical moments of your life and in your faith, and when you're going through that valley, you're going through that storm, you're walking through that desert spiritual time in your life, that's when we look to God and say, God, I've been faithful to you. We've been faithful to you. Lord, please take your hand up off my neck. Take your hand off of our neck, Lord Jesus. 
We ask, we submit, we surrender. You are God, you are almighty God and you can do anything in your power. We remain faithful to you. Don't forget to remind God of your faithfulness to him, people of God. You have that ability because of his son, Jesus Christ, who has made it possible for you to go into the Holy of Holies and have this, these kinds of conversations with the Lord. Just don't curse him. And don't sin in your, in your troubles. Don't go out and say, oh, forget it. Oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. Oh, I'm just going to go and give myself to whoever. Oh, I'm just going to go and, and I'm just going to just forget it all. Because God's forgotten about me. No, hang on. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, hang on. Somebody turn to your other neighbor, the one uh, that was your second choice, and say, don't lose hope. So look at what the Lord does. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, the Lord said to Satan, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And he took Job, and Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself of the boils that he sat with there among the ashes. And to me, this is the test number three. His wife came to him and said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Give God the finger. Quit throwing the towel. Stop eating. You have no reason to live. The Bible tells me that we were designed with the purpose to, to worship the Lord. That was our number one purpose. Our number one reason for living is that God designed us to worship him no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we lose, no matter the loved ones, no matter whether it's a beloved, our wife, our husband, our children, our father, our mother, people who mean the world to us, they are not God. There's only one God. And he loves you. And we were designed to worship him. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? We talk about justice. Well, we have to be just also. We have to understand that a sun shines on the just and the unjust. We have to understand that there's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. We have to understand that there's going to be great times and there's going to be terrible times. We have to understand that there's going to be heavenly times and there's going to be God-forsaken times. How about when Jesus was on the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me, Father? Have you forgotten me that I have to be up here on the cross? The Father was silent. 
and did not respond to his son because the son knew that he had to finish what he started. Jesus knew. Our brother and our father knew that he had to go to the cross for your sins and mine. And once and for all, he could deal with sin so that you and I could be reconciled to Almighty God. In spite of the sin that we live in, in spite of the sin that we have lived, in spite of our evil, God has come to forgive us of our sins so that we can be reconciled and have a relationship with Almighty God. We serve a good God. Verse 10, chapter 2. In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. How many of you know that there's power in our words? Our words come from our soul. Our words come from our mind. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The fruit of our lips speak from the roots of the tree that is, be, that is growing and that is within us. If there are roots and seeds of bitterness, then roots of, of bitterness and doubt and lack of faith and wickedness and evil will come out of our mouths. And they will come to life because there are seeds that are going out of our mouths. There are seeds that, are, that have been germinating in here that we didn't get out, that we didn't uproot, that we didn't rebuke in the name of Jesus, that we didn't come against by the power of the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us new again and restores us and refreshes us and reminds us that we serve a good and mighty God and he's a faithful God and he will see to it that he finishes what he has started in you and in me and in the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, God is good. All the time. And all the time. Give God a hand of praise today, Mission Ebenezer Family Church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can I get a keyboardist out here to help me? Pastor Nana. Where's my boy Jonathan at? Can I get somebody to help me? Because the word of God never fails. The word of God never fails returns void. The word of God will never let you down. You serve a God who will be there for you and with you in the storm. One day you will realize that he was the one steering the boat. When you thought it was your hands on the boat, you will realize that big brother had you all along. One day you will realize, why did we doubt? Why did we question? Oh, ye of little faith, why do we look to the winds? Oh, ye of little faith, why do we look to the rain? Oh, ye of little faith, why do we look to the waves? Oh, ye of little faith, why do we look to the, the, the boat that was turning upside down? Oh, ye of little faith, keep our eyes focused on the prize. Keep our eyes focused on the Son of, of God. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus and know that he will pull you up. He will rescue you because he is your deliverer. He is your restorer. He is your savior. He is your creator. He's the author and the finisher of your faith and my faith. And he will not leave you in despair. Hallelujah. 
And the Bible says that Job's friends, somebody say his friends. His friends came to him really to see what was going on, right? They came to console, to comfort. And the more and more they talked with Job, it was a little more confusing as to why they came in the first place. Some of their conversations went down rabbit holes. They were all trying to figure out why. Why all these good things happening to such a perfect man, a blameless man, a faithful man? Oh, I can understand why bad things happen to bad people. We all like it when that happens. We got to rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. Don't ever snicker at the de demise of another. Oh, we're, we're in a, a very, very politicized time as a country. Protect your thoughts, protect your mind, protect your actions, protect your thumbs. Stay focused on him. Stay focused on him. Oh, I see where she stands. I always knew he was like that. Let's not go there. The church has been divided far too long. These last five years have been very, very difficult for the church here. Admission in America and around the world. And the Lord is calling a few faithful brothers and sisters who are not going to lose hope. You'll see in the next 40 chapters that they had some beautiful, some tough, interesting conversations, sad, depressing, very confusing. But in the end, turn with me to chapter 42. Somebody say in the end. In the end, God's promises prevail to the faithful. Verse 1 says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. This is Job things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, one of his friends, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. See, Job was entertaining all the things, the foolishness that his friends were saying. 
So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. Watch this, church. I like that part right there. And everything that Job was going through in his sickness, in his disease, he wasn't healed yet. The Lord told his three friends that Job was going to pray for them. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. The Lord actually says that he will accept Job's prayer, which means sometimes God doesn't accept our prayer if it's an empty prayer, if it's a faithless prayer, or if it's a selfish prayer. We have to check our words and check our hearts. We have to humble ourselves and we have to repent before God if anything has ever come out of our mouths from our hearts that wasn't of the Lord. You've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Verse 9, so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And after Job had prayed for his friends, look what it says, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen. A thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jamima. The second, Keziah. And the third, Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. I see here in the passage that Job surrendered everything that he had to suffer and everything he had to go through. He surrendered it into the hands of God. He surrendered his will and the will of God. He surrendered to it. He said, I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop trying to figure out why. Why me? Why us? Why him? And I'm going to surrender to you, God. He didn't surrender in defeat and say, I, I give up. It's not that kind of a surrender. He surrendered in recognizing God's power, God's might, and his promises. It's at that point when we say, Father, you know what's best for my life. You know how this thing ends up. I'm just struggling with losing control. I'm struggling with all the emotions and everything tied to it. I love you. And I'm thankful. And that's when our healing comes. That's when the restoration comes.
That's when his promises are fulfilled. And we see the goodness of his hand once again. When we remove every selfish motive and every selfish desire as to wanting all the blessings of life and all the blessings from God, we remove all that selfishness and we say, Father God, less of me and more of you. May you increase. May we decrease. In Jesus' name.